Another reading from Matthew's Gospel, the 13th chapter, beginning at the 36th verse. An explanation of what we've been hearing about this parable of the weeds and the wheat. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send the, His angels, and they will collect out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all evil doers. And they will throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Let everyone with ears listen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I could not help but notice that there were 10 or 11 children here at the uh, time for the children's message. And doing some quick math uh, with the whole body, I think they represented 8 to 10% of our congregation today. That's a good piece of information because it says to me that there is indeed a future for the First United Methodist Church of Bossier City, and, uh, and it's on its way. And they were, they were very uh, active in giving their answers to the questions and responding uh, to this good message, and we're grateful for that. I'm grateful to be here today. I'm not Mark Goins, as you perhaps recognize by now, unless you're a visitor today. Uh, and uh, it's good always to be here. I've been across the river for 47 years. I've been here a time or two, and it's good to be back with you uh, today. And so we're going to look at this parable today. This is the eighth Sunday after Kingdom Tide, and this is the gospel lection for this day from Matthew. There's a great theologian who's written uh, much about uh, parables and other pieces of Scripture by the name of George Bundrick. He has the first sentence in discussing this parable of weeds and wheat in his book simply begins with this statement. This is a perplexing parable, end quote. Well, indeed, it is perplexing. He could have said that again and again as we read it and try to understand what Jesus is telling us in this parable. For in it, Jesus teaches us that bad weeds, that is, evildoers, are to remain together with the wheat, that is, God's people, until Judgment Day, when God's angels will separate them, one, by, one for the fire and the other for glory. In the light of this parable, we can ask some rather perplexing questions, especially in the light of the events of this day and with our church. For example, should a charge conference of the United Methodist Church have the authority to bring to trial members and remove them for, from the church role? If a person joins the church by repenting and being baptized, is that person a weed or a 
wheat. If all persons are sinners, are we not all really weeds? And if a person enters the church as wheat, can wheat sometimes become like weed? If a person is a bad seed turning into a weed, can that person then renew himself and become wheat once again? Who's to judge then whether a church member is weed or wheat? If we're taught to allow weeds to, ex to exist beside us, is capital punishment in our nation, is that contrary to Jesus' teachings to give people an opportunity to repent and be good again? Is this, is this parable saying that Jesus wants us in but not of the world? Many questions. You think of perhaps still others. Now that we're perplexed with a perplexing parable, let's take a look to see if we can make any sense of it for today's church. Is it true that a practical problem in every church is the existence of members who look more like weeds than wheat? Should they be disciplined? Should they be tried and if found guilty, expelled? What church has the confidence and the courage to do that, to be a judge? Jesus gives this parable because he's criticized for associating with sinners and with outcasts. The parable teaches us that we are not to judge who is true or false Christian. We're not to weed out the weeds because in doing so we will destroy the wheat, the good. And on the day of judgment, God will make those judgments and separate the weeds and the wheat. But until that time comes, uh, the church needs to have patience and forbearance of the weeds among the wheat. But how far can we practice this? Shall the church tolerate members who are anti-Christian, adulterers, thieves, murderers? This parable helps us to deal with this problem. There are at least three possibilities suggested to me by this parable. Perhaps you can think of still others. Let's briefly look at the three that I'm thinking about. The first response that we could make to false Christians is as a church to judge them. The parable says that when the plants came up and bore the grain, then the weeds appeared as well. But the weeds are so much like the wheat that only God can really tell the difference. The Greek word which we translate in this English uh, rendition of the scripture uh, translates a weed as, as a troublesome and poisonous weed resembling wheat. It grows to the same height as wheat and it cannot be distinguished as weeds until the wheat matures in the, into heads of grain. Hypocrites are weeds that look and act like wheat until the harvest time. Some people believe there are a lot of hypocrites in the church, and maybe so. This makes it difficult for to judge who is really a genuine follower of Christ. Who then is to make this judgment? Who is to make a judgment of who is in and who is a sinner? One of the dangers, I think, of judging is that it easily gives us an air of self-righteousness. Judging others may even blow up in our own face. I like the story 
of a certain man in a village, uh, a baker who bought butter from a neighboring farmer. One day he became suspicious that the butter was not the right weight. For several days he weighed the butter and found it short. He had the, father, the farmer arrested for fraudulent dealing. And at the trial, the judge asked the farmer how he weighed his butter and explained, well, when the baker commenced buying butter from me, I thought I would reciprocate and buy bread from him. And he sold them in one pound loaves. So I just simply used one of those loaves of bread on the scales to weigh my butter. So if the butter was not correctly a pound, the problem is not me, but it's him to blame. Maybe that's a good parable for us as making uh, judgments uh, when we are not able to live up to the right way ourselves. Another danger of judging is that it can be terribly divisive in a church. Near the end of his life, the great poet Carl Sandburg was asked once by a reporter, what is, in your opinion is the ugliest word in the English language? Carl Sandburg frowned and repeated that over a time or two, the ugliest word in the English language. The reporter in the television audience waited with anticipation. He looked off in the distance, waiting and contemplating that answer. He continued to mumble that word, ugliest, ugliest word in the English language. Finally, as everyone strained forward to hear what the great poet had to say, he said the ugliest word is exclusive, exclusive. The first response that we could make to false Christians among us would be to judge them, but this would not be the best response. It would not be the best response because it would make of us self-righteous people, hypocrites in need of judgment ourselves. It would also uh, be not the best response because it would create a very divisive spirit among us and exclusivism in the church, which would be uncharacteristic of a follower of Christ, one who we seek to serve. Well, there's a second response I was thinking about as I studied this parable. That is uh, that we could make false Christians in the church and we could expel them. The parable says that the householder said of the weeds in the field, an enemy has done this. And the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? He said, no, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Jesus is teaching us here that expulsion does more harm than it does good. Can we live with false Christians in the church? How long can we tolerate their opposition uh, and the opposition of them to the progress of the church? It would be wonderful if the church consisted only of wheat and no weeds. Since every Christian is both saint and sinner, it's logical that every church does consist of both wheat and weeds. But which is which? How do we tell the difference? Since the weeds are so much like wheat, we cannot tell who is a true Christian and who is not until maturity. That's when we shall know by their works 
Who then is capable of judging who is a Christian? Are we not all weeds to some extent, even though by grace we become wheat of God's people, adopted as we are in baptism? Not all who say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, says Jesus. The church is not a museum of perfect people, but rather it's a hospital of needy sinners in need of daily repentance and forgiveness. I think this parable makes the point that the weeds are to remain with the wheat until judgment day. If we apply this principle to the church, are we never to remove names from the church for those who are immoral? Is excommunication against this parable? This has been a question for the church ever since the Donatus uh, controversy in the fourth century. The Donatists believed that heretics should be excluded from the church, but the great Augustine disagreed with them. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells us that the sinner is to be excluded. Tell your friend, he says, take one of them or two with you, uh, tell the church, and then expel the guilty. Paul would excommunicate a false preacher. He called upon the Corinthian church to oust a man who was immoral in his behavior. Calvin had Servetus, Servetus executed because he did not accept, accept the doctrine of the Trinity of all things. At times, churches have defrocked uh, their ministers uh, for sinful living. Church conferences in the United Methodist Church might have the authority to cancel a person's membership on the basis of immoral living. But is this not uprooting weeds from the wheat so I think this is not the way. What is the solution? Is this what the parable is saying to us today? No, the parable is not primarily dealing with discipline or exclusion of members. It's a question of the wheat withdrawing from the weeds, the good refusing to associate with the evil. Jesus was one who mingled and ate with sinners. He was like the Pharisee, he was not like the Pharisees who separated themselves from non-religious people as at least they thought and defined them publicans, Samaritans, women, sinners. Jesus would not have us separate ourselves from the world like the Essenes did, the Qumran settlement by the Dead Sea. Christ is teaching us to be in the world planted by weeds without judging them and without uprooting them until God separates the good from the bad on judgment day. This would not be the best response because Jesus would not have us to separate ourselves from those who we consider non-religious. The second response we could make to false Christians among us would be to expel them. And I don't think this is the best one either. What about the third response that I've been thinking about? We could make the false Christians in the church, uh, it, the, we could make them uh, to, it, to commit them to God, to care for God, put them in God's care. The parable says, let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. The wheat and the weeds are to be allowed to exist side by side. The weeds are not to be removed, 
for it would be do more harm than it would do good. Like the servants in the parable, we want to get rid of the undesirables, the inactive, the troublemakers in our congregation. We often wish perhaps they would transfer to another congregation. But can we permit members to remain when they are willful breakers of the Ten Commandments, such as adultery, murderers, thieves? Where shall we draw the line? The parable suggests that on Judgment Day, God will destroy the false Christians, the weeds, and the true Christians, the wheat, will flourish in His judgment. So where is the gospel, the good news in this parable that's so perplexing to us? I think it emphasizes the patience and the forbearance of a loving and forgiving and merciful God. We laborers would tear up the weeds at once, but God's orders for us are to leave them with the wheat until harvest. The love of God is seen in not wanting to harm the wheat or lose the wheat, his children, by pulling up the weeds. Wheat and weeds are to remain together until judgment day when God, not us, will settle the account. Because the weeds are poisonous and interfere with the growth of the wheat, they deserve to be pulled up. But in his concern in telling this story, the welfare of his people, he orders the laborers to leave the weeds with the wheat, lest more danger be, more difficulties be created. Humans are prone to use violence in eradicating evil, but God will have no part of that. The parable also helps us to see the perspective of life that we live in this world. In this parable, Jesus gives us an end view of time. At the end of time, the good will prevail and prosper, while evil will be destroyed. The righteous, that is the wheat, will then shine in the sun in, in glory. Today, evil may have its hour, its place, that we must tolerate and live with. The fields may be sown with the seeds of evil, but even in these bad times, we can see and look forward to the ultimate outcome when God will be victorious. With God, we will be on the winning side of life. The truth gives us confidence and serenity for the living of these difficult days. In the chancel of a certain church, there's a painting of Jesus at the table with his disciples. Jesus is in the center, dressed in white, and around him are the disciples. A certain visitor came into that church once, and looking at the picture, he exclaimed, where are the sinners? Doesn't Jesus eat and drink at table with sinners? But oh, how he missed the message of that painting. Of course, Jesus ate and drank with sinners, not only in this world, but in the very midst of, of, uh, of his disciples as well. For we're all sinners. Even that group of 12 that he gathered and worked with over the years, they were not perfect. Until any of us reach perfection, we would be wise to learn these three lessons and what they teach us. The first one teaches us to be slow to judge others. The second certainly 
to be slow to expel from our fellowship any. And third, and most importantly, not to be slow, but to be quick, quick to commit ourselves and others in all of our imperfection, to be patient and forbearing, even as God is. God who's slow to anger and quick to forgive. My prayer today, friends, with you would be that we would come to know this forgiving God and the knowledge will make us a more forgiving people. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your love, for your forbearance, your, your slowness to anger and to judge. Help us to take that quality into our own lives as we deal with our friends in the fellowship of the church, that we can be loving and forgiving and not self-righteous. I pray in the name of Christ. Amen.